Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast. I am Anar Rama. With me is... Roger Prather. And we are doing this podcast from South Lancaster, Massachusetts, Megan Jones is our producer and editor, and we appreciate all she's doing. And we want to just mention that if you're in the area, or when you're, if you live in the area, please drop by and see us on Saturdays. We have a wonderful Bible study at 10 a.m. and about 11:15 we start our worship service. We would love to have you with us. And there's a lot of stuff going on here. We're very blessed to have an active membership with a lot of things going on, adventures, pathfinders. We have a bell choir and and uh, food pantry we operate in the fall, and so many things going on. So we're, And there's a good chance if you show up, there's free food involved, either breakfast and sometimes breakfast and lunch. There's a 50-50 chance. Yeah. Yep. Every other Sabbath, there's, there's a, either a, a haystack lunch or a potluck lunch. And once a month, there is a an organized uh, breakfast that I'm actually, my mouth is watering thinking about Ricardo's potatoes. <laughs> it's really good, really good. Anyhow, we digress, but it's all important to realize that we do these podcasts because we're all part of the body of Christ, and we need each other. Paul understood this. He says to the church at Corinth, you are the body of Christ. And they didn't quite always get it but he understood what the, the goal was. And so we need each other. We need one another. We are interdependent. And no man is an island when it comes to the Christian faith. We need each other. So that's why this is important. And we hope that this podcast will help you in your spiritual journey. Whether you're an active member here or some other church, we pray it's a blessing to you. And on that note, why don't we pray Roger, would you pray for us as we get started? Sure. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this ministry. We thank you for those who are listening now. Thank you that the pastor and I could be here right now at this moment to record this podcast. And I pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds, help us to communicate the truths of your scripture clearly, uh, both to one another and to those who are listening. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we are looking at today is lesson number six, The Hour of His Judgment. Uh, the lesson is for May, April 25, April 29 through May 5th. And, and that whole expression, that title, The Hour of His Judgment, something about the way that that is phrased, the hour of his judgment makes it so imminent and real. We're all familiar with time, we're all familiar with minutes and hours, days, weeks, years, but the hour is coming. And I think we all have had that experience where you're in school, whether it be elementary school, high school, college, and you're cramming for a test that you know is starting in an hour. And you're like, how do I get it all in my head? And, and so the hour of judgment has come. And so how do we face a judgment? Last podcast, we looked at the fact that we can approach the judgment with confidence because we know the judge, <clears throat> excuse me, we know our advocate, and so long as we trust the advocate, so long as we are even trusting the judge, we will be okay. So now it's coming down more specifics here, particularly to a passage that has led people to spend countless hours analyzing and dissecting, and I believe there are people who have spent their lives on one passage called Daniel 8.14. We're going to touch on that this morning or today about Daniel 8.14. So uh, the memory text is, And do this, knowing the time, 
that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. And that comes from the wonderful book of Romans, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. Interesting that Paul would use this imagery of judgment and and. If there was anybody who was familiar with the concept of judgment, with this, the, the temple system, it would have been Paul, mm-hmm. as he was well-educated in this. And, and I think that kind of leads into this imagery here that we have in Daniel. So what do you think, Roger, was going on in Paul's mind when he's writing these words in Romans? And, and how does that transition into the hour of his judgment. I would focus on that last uh, sentence there, the night is far spent, the mm-hmm. day is at hand. I think the the image that he's reaching for there, at least the image that comes into my mind when I read that, is someone working through the night, someone passionately dedicated to something, working through the night, and they're they're actually surprised when they start to see the sun come up because they've been working so hard they don't even realize, oh, it's five in the morning, it's six in the morning. And then before you know it, the light's coming in through the window, and they're like, wow, it's a new day. And I think that's sort of where he's going. If we, 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 are, we, we ought to be diligently focused on doing the Lord's work. And if we do that, then it's going to be a pleasant surprise when we get through the night. Right, so night, darkness, evil, yeah. and, and, and danger. I've, I'm liking what you're saying there because when I, I'm opening my Bible to Romans 13, and it's powerful because just prior to this, Paul talks about love being fulfillment of the law. Powerful. We are called to love. He even so it says, "Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law." Mm-hmm. Now, for Paul to say that, this is powerful. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You, you, the commandments, you shall not uh, commit adultery, don't uh, murder, don't steal, don't covet, whatever the command may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then, of course, he transitions into the memory text. And after that, in verse 13, he contrasts that with these words, let us behave decently, as Roger was alluding to the fact that it's no longer nighttime, as in the daytime, not, not carousing and drunkenness, not sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe, it's a beautiful picture. Put on the righteousness of Christ, which Paul was very, very familiar with. And so that's how we face the judgment. And I would also like to point out uh, the fact that when Paul writes, all of the law is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, he writes that without the Gospels. The Gospels Mm -hmm. have not been written at this point. Chronologically speaking, the letters of Paul precede the writing of the Gospels. Paul wrote within a couple decades of the crucifixion and resurrection, the gospels come uh, later than Paul. So he's, you know, he's creating Christian theology here, so to speak. And so he's writing that not in ignorance because you can't be ignorant of something that doesn't, doesn't exist yet. He's writing that prior to um, the gospels. So it's much more likely that this theology that Paul's developing here was a source for, the teaching of of what the Gospels um, um, teach. And I want to add that Paul, of course, experienced it firsthand. He was persecuting, we all know, he was persecuting the church. And then on the road to Damascus, he encounters God. The Christians still think he's a bad guy. And then he's blinded, he's led to one of the homes. At first, they're hesitant to let him in. But then they realize it's okay. And there's an expression that I came across, I don't know who said it, but nothing good happens without grace or forgiveness. 
Nothing good happens without grace or forgiveness. And so with that, I think we're going to transition into our focus here on the book of Daniel. And I'm going to read Daniel 8:14. says here, He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated or cleansed. Now, just as a parenthetical statement, we, we all know, or many of us are familiar with a man named William Miller. He read this text in the 1800s. He said, ah, Jesus is coming. 2,300 days, 2,300 years, start from 457 B.C. Hey, he's coming in 1843. Or no, he's coming in 1844. We call it the Great Disappointment. Obviously, Jesus did not physically return in the 1844, 1843. What was it about? What was it about? That's what we're looking at today. And again, we see here, when we look at the book of Daniel, we see a judgment scene. We see a th- the throne room of God. And something is going to happen here. So Daniel 8, 8.27, uh, just kind of on a side note, tells us what's going on in the mind of Daniel. Daniel 8.27, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days, and I got up and went about the king's business and was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Now, why was he appalled? That's, I think, there's several reasons. Number one, he didn't understand it. Secondly, I personally think that Daniel was overwhelmed by the timeline. 2,300 days. Where is Daniel, Roger, at this time? He is in Babylon. He's in Babylon. Yeah. He didn't want to be in Babylon. And whenever you're whenever you're in some place you don't want to be, the question is, when is this over? And so God is giving this vision 2,300 evenings and mornings. And I would think that it would have been devastating to the heart, to the mind of Daniel to think that it's going to take this long for anything good to happen. And 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 he's it hit, it's a gut punch to him. And he's exhausted emotionally, maybe even spiritually, physically exhausted because of what he realizes is happening here. So, here we are, the year 2023, and and Daniel has no no possible concept of where the timeline is going to go. And here we are talking about his experience thousands of years later. So point is, my friends, we are we fall in love with timelines. We fall, fall in love with chronos, the chronology. But really there's a deeper thing going on here. What is going on? Well, I would suggest to the listener that the overarching point that we should be getting from Daniel, like we, we get into, as you pointed out, we get into the weeds. And the point is that jumping off from the last lesson, human history is moving in a particular direction. And that direction is ultimately superintended by an intelligent being who is righteous and good and just. And the duty of people is to cooperate in that movement of history. And it's not so much, I mean, it's important. It's not unimportant that we are able to trace back particular dates because that provides rational evidence for the other beliefs that come along with, with, with understanding what Daniel's writing about here. But if we get so focused on all those old prophecy charts, mm-hmm. then we lose the ethical importance of what Daniel's saying. Yeah. And at the end yep. of the day, the ethics of it is much more important, practically speaking, than whether uh, we've dated the order to rebuild the temple correctly, or if, uh, you know, was it October 22nd? You know, for a while they, they disagreed 1843, right. 1844. So, and the, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of deep history, and this isn't confined. I would also point out um, to 
uh, the listener that this is this these debates and this focus is not confined to Seventh Day Adventism. I mentioned off air when we were talking before we started recording. I just finished reading not not recently, like in the last month, um, the first three months of 2023. I read the first three volumes of mm. Leroy Froome's Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers, thousand pages each. But he documents in with meticulous detail. Uh, the history of prophetic interpretation from mm-hmm. the first century all the way to uh, the beginning of the Seventh-day Adventist movement in the 1900s. I haven't read volume four because I needed to take a break from it. It's very dense stuff. Mm-hmm. But these are conversations that people have been having for a long time because we delude ourselves into thinking that if we can effective, if we can accurately predict every little detail that's going to happen, then somehow we can remove ourselves from the effect. I think that's part of it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if we get enough canned goods and we get that cabin out in the, in the, in the mountains in Maine or something, it's, we're going to be exempted from bad things happening. And that's not the case. I think what Daniel's talking about here and what Paul's talking about here is we know, again, go back to what the gospel means. We know that something's wrong with the world. It's moving towards a resolution. That doesn't mean the bad things stop happening. In the meantime, it means that we have a different understanding of what those bad things are, what they mean in the greater ethical economy of the universe. And that's what's important. And I, th- I like that thought because when we look at Daniel's experience, if there's anyone who knew something wrong with the world, it was him. He's okay, sort of economically, but he's in the wrong country. He's in Babylon. This wasn't the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And- so, he, remember, he's a he's a now he's an upper class Israelite. Yep. Or well, well, Judah. It was Judah. Yeah. But he's an up. He's an, a member of the upper class. He's educated. He we would call him a member of the nobility. Yep. And he's been taken into captivity, and all of his talents and knowledge are being used to support a pagan king. Yep. Who just invaded and had a conquest of his homeland. So yeah, he, I think he kind of knew that the world was a messed up place. And I liked, how did you phrase that, Roger, about they were using his skills and abilities to support a... A pagan king. A pagan king, but a system. I think you alluded to a system. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a system. Yeah. And I wonder if we've realized the same thing at times, that we ourselves are part, we're just one of the gears in a gigantic system that is using us in, and, and I'm not looking in conspiracy theories, but I'm talking here about how many people live by that bumper sticker, They don't you don't see it anymore, but I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? And, and, and there's nothing wrong in owning things. We need to put food on the table. We need to pay our bills. But there's a point where we have to say, am I losing who I am in this process? I would put it in these terms that worldly systems, no matter how, some are better than others. Mm -hmm. We live in what historically speaking, by all accounts, is a pretty good one. Yep. Right in the West, in the United States. But all worldly systems ultimately treat individuals as tools in the system yeah and you're either participating in the system or you're not and uh that's not the way sort of god's economy works god god's system is an anti-system maybe we could put it that way right god doesn't use us he does use us like don't don't read too much into my words Mm -hmm. here i'm sort of like off the cuff philosophizing here but God doesn't see individuals as just tools to an end. We're not means to an end, right? We are, we have moral value in and of ourselves because he created us, because we bear the image of, of his character yeah. somewhere in our souls. Yeah. And, and for worldly systems, like we have, we li- again, we live in a pretty good system. We live in a system that values individual autonomy and rights and things like that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're just one cog in a giant machine. 
God doesn't treat us like that. We have value. You know, the ninety-nine and the one. Yeah. Right. If 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 we if I was the one sinner on yep. earth, right? Yeah. Jesus still would have died to yep. save me. Whereas a worldly system would have been like, well, we got the ninety-nine. Cost that's, benefit analysis. Yeah, it's is pretty not, efficient. It's not. It's acceptable loss. Right. Acceptable loss. And God doesn't see it that way. No. Um, so that's really that's that's the big point. Like you yep. said, you can get into conspiracy theories and and things like that, but that's this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is real, mm-hmm. right? This is really how the world works, yep. and the world really works in a way that is morally and ethically antithetical yep. to God's economy of ethics. On a lighter note, there's an expression I heard years ago. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, and it's true. When when at the at that point when you're going to that quote resting place at Evergreen, whatever it's called, uh, you're not bringing anything with you. It is just a coffin, and if you have a vault or you're you're uh, you know cremated, it that's it. Well, in Egypt, they might have. What do you mean? Um, well, because they put you know you put put the Pharaoh's coffin in the tomb and oh yes yes you know, yes you put yes, all this yes. stuff in there. So. But that's a great illustration, right? You talk about ethics. Oh yeah, and um, I think that the the influence of the Christian biblical worldview on Western culture is evident in that sort of idea where you don't, you don't take anything with you. Right. Right. Um, in Egypt, you have this idea that, you know, you could amass this wealth and, um, I don't want to get too deep into Egyptian mythology and stuff like that, but you know, you had this idea about how you attain salvation and things, but you got to take all of these accoutrements that you developed in this life with you. Um, and we don't get to do that. It's the next life is determinant on what you do with you what with what you've been provided in this life. And I remember it was it Egyptology, I think it was, where they actually weighed a, there was a scale. Yeah. And and you'd have to see did you know, essentially the good outweigh the bad. The the tragedy was your good deeds could be they they were counted good, but when you look at the the price that was paid the slaves that did this that and the other thing for you to have good deeds it just counterproductive I mean you're you know what I'm saying it was just like I oh this Pharaoh did all these good things well it wasn't wasn't him it was the slaves who were doing it and those right. and and it's just like something's wrong with this picture something's wrong yeah it was called uh, it was, the the word was maat. M A apostrophe A T, and you had to your soul basically had to be lighter than a feather. Is like the Correct. popular the That's popular right. way of putting it. But again, we we talked we touched on this last lesson too when we talked about Bathsheba. But the idea of like there are certain humans who are sort of disposable; they're almost like property. And so those slave class. That's and that's why God. That's why when God spoke to the Israelites in Egypt, they listened, right? Because they saw the way that these worldly systems treat human yep. beings this this ethical innovation people don't realize like everything that we experience right now in the in the modern world maybe not everything but a lot of what we experience is just the whole idea that there's this objective standard of right and wrong and that i as a human being have rights yep or in privileges or whatever and that i can appeal to that objective standard Right and be made whole. Right, so the police, you know, unlawfully searched my car or something, or you trespassed on my land or whatever. That whole idea comes from Old Testament thinking. Right, there was no, there was no other civilization in the ancient world that thought this way, where it said you as a human being, no matter how poor or rich or powerful or simple Mm. you are, you have value because you're a creature of God. Right. And remember, the Old Testament even allowed women to inherit property. Unheard of. Unheard of, yeah. Yep. So when we and to bring it back to Daniel, because that's what we're supposed to be talking about here. <laughs> bring it back to Daniel. When Daniel looks forward to this time when the sanctuary is going to be cleansed or restored, and when you were talking and I was on my phone, I wasn't distracting myself. I was looking at Greek and Hebrew. Oh, okay. Um 
And so this idea of restoration or cleansing, Daniel, because he's a Jew, he would have thought of it in terms of the temple. And so for people to sort of understand what that means, when you had the sacrificial system and you sacrificed an animal, the priest would take that animal. You would actually have to cut the, the throat of the animal yourself, right, to represent that you were causing death through your yep. sin. The priest would have taken that animal and they would have taken some of the blood and the blood would have to be placed in very key parts of the temple. Each piece of furniture had horns, these little horns on the corners. And so blood would have been placed there. Some of the blood would have been poured out in front of the altar. Some of the blood would have been taken into the holy place and placed on uh, some of the furniture in the holy place, some like the altar of Mm -hmm. incense and things like that. Once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest was allowed to go into the most holy place, which was where the presence of God actually sat atop the Ark of the Covenant. And he would make atonement with the blood of the scapegoat. I'm sorry, not the blood of the scapegoat. The scapegoat was led off into mm-hmm. the, the wilderness. But he would take the, the, the blood of the goat without blemish. It had to be yep. a perfect goat. And he would take, and no sin would have been confessed. So it was an innocent victim. You see where we're going with this? Yep. An innocent victim dies. That blood is taken before the throne of God. And that clean blood, that sinless blood, is what allows them to clean all the blood off of the furniture that accumulated over the previous year. So all of your sin is taken away yep. by the sacrifice of the sinless goat. That's what Daniel would have thought of when he heard yep. this, right? And so all the things that accumulate in this world, right? We focus on heavenly, I don't want to get too far off, but we focus on heavenly sanctuary, earthly sanctuary, our types and anti-types and all this kind yep. of stuff. But the, the, the ethical point that we often forget when we get trapped in the timelines and all that kind of stuff is we're supposed to be cooperating with God and moving time forward to a point where all those sins, all those accumulated wrongs go away. Mm-hmm. And that is a message of hope. That's why judgment, go back to the last lesson, that's why judgment is good news. Right, and then what you pointed out—the hour of his judgment—that's going to take place at a specific point in time. Yep. And yep. the message that we traditionally go with in our denomination is that that specific point in time has arrived. Yep. Now we don't have to get down into days and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's really necessary for the purposes of this lesson. But God is actively moving the world towards its culmination. That's the point, and yep. we should be participating in that. And on that note, it's interesting how Daniel sees this because he's realizing there's these other systems. And we see it in Daniel 7, you have the vision of the lion, you have uh, the second beast, looks like a bear, and, and a leopard, and, and the fourth one that was just terrifying and, and had large teeth, crushed and devoured its victims. So you see these, he's seeing these different systems coming through. Mm-hmm. And... He says, okay, the big scope of things, what matters is this system here, the judgment of God. All these systems will fall apart. Image of Daniel 2 really makes this clear. Absolutely. And, I was just and say that, that stone that, that is not cut out by human hands comes and it crushes it all, turns it to dust, and then it blows, they're blown away. I Every mean, human kingdom. It's gone. It's blown away. And so the real question for me, for us, every single human being, is what are we living for? What's the end, what's the end here? So in Daniel chapter 9, um, the angel instructs him to do something. And Daniel 9, and I'm going to pick it up with verse 22 of Daniel 9. He instructed me and said, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Remember, again, we said it before, say it again, he is in Babylon. The situation is far from perfect. So there he is in a less than ideal situation. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, and I have come to tell you that you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Uh, you know, it's interesting that Daniel, there he is in that pagan country, he has a decent lifestyle, but what matters is his heart. And heaven says, you are highly esteemed. And of course, then it goes into the prophecy of the 77s. 
And this ultimately can point him to the Messiah and that Jesus will come and there'll be a, he'll have a lifespan or a ministry. And in the middle of that time, he will be put to death. We put an end to it, the system. And you see seven years, essentially, and it ends with the stoning of Stephen, as we see it, beginning with the birth of Christ. I'm sorry, not the birth of Christ, the start of his ministry, and in the middle, he is crucified. And it's an amazing prophecy, and it requires a little bit of an easy, a simple calculator. <laughs> doesn't have to be a high-tech scientific one, but basically, and in a nutshell, the decree from 457 BC, the decree goes out, just want to mention this parenthetically, and when you, when you look forward 2,300 years, that brings you to the time of 1844. Remember, there's no year zero. Sometimes people forget that. But it, what's the point of this? None of us were alive in 1844, Roger, who was listening to this podcast. I wasn't alive in 1844. You weren't alive from 1844. Megan wasn't alive in 1844. What's the big deal here about 1844? And for, for us, what's the take home? The Okay. <laughs> so the thing with Daniel, Daniel's a really interesting book. And when I get into conversations with people who ask me, how could, or why, why should I believe the Bible, right? Why should I take it seriously? And one of the ways that I approach it, one of the, <laughs> one of the ways that I approach it is I point to the book of Daniel mm-hmm. because Daniel could not have said the things. Here's the, okay, let me back up a second. We can place the book of Daniel at a very specific point in time. Now, some liberal scholars, critical scholars, will uh, try to push it later, later. Yep. right? Closer, yep. to, um, closer to that, the Roman period, mm-hmm. um, the intertestamental period. But we have, you go to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you could make an argument that, so it's included in the Dead Sea Scrolls as canon. Yeah. People were taking it seriously. You can make arguments that um, Jews, based on their understanding of scripture, like there are other scriptures, there are other books that were written in the time period that these critical scholars claim Daniel was written mm-hmm. that are not considered scripture. Mm-hmm. That Daniel was considered scripture at the time that groups like the Qumran community, which produced the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, at that time, it had to have been written earlier at the time that it was claimed in yeah. Babylon. Um, same thing with Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel, is, uh, Ezekiel and Daniel are contemporaries. Yeah. And so they, they, they considered it scripture. So if you, if you take that at face value, the book of Daniel was written at the time of the Babylonian captivity. Let's just start with that yeah. premise, right? Assertion. Daniel could not have said the things that he said with enough accuracy for it not to be divinely inspired, right? The book yeah. of Daniel is is key in making that. Just just Dan, just start with Daniel chapter two because it mm-hmm. lays it out. It, it tells it you, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, you you are the head of gold. There's going to be another kingdom after you. That's the 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 chest and arms of silver. Then there's going to be the bronze kingdom, then the iron kingdom, and then the divided kingdoms and the legs and the feet. And. The point is, again, that God, there is a God, that history moves, and it is ultimately under the control and direction of an intelligent, divine being who is perfect and good and just and has perfect and good and just intentions that sees you and sees me as individuals. And he, that movement of history is enough that that Messiah that's prophesied would have died even if you or I are the only one that would have been saved. That's an amazing thought. Yeah. And if, I mean, I don't really know where else to go beyond that. I, I 1844, and I'm sorry, that was your question. Yeah. Why is 1844 important? So 1844 is important because if you take that seriously and you move forward, you arrive to 1844. So beginning in the 19th century, God, so as soon as Jesus was crucified and resurrected, mm-hmm. 
we began living in the end times, right? Correct. Yep. That's when the end times began. Yep. That's Paul. That's Paul's assessment. Exactly. And but what 1844 tells us is that we are now living in the end of time. At, we are now in the closing chapters of human history. And when go back to that memory text where Paul talks about the night is well spent, we are now approaching the dawn. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we sit back on our laurels and, ah, oh, okay, everything's going to be cool and hunky-dory. We work even more diligently because we know outside the wickedness is still there, yep. right? Because it's nighttime still. We're, we know the dawn's approaching, so we continue to work through the night because relief is coming. Relief is coming. And so it's a message of hope is really what it is. Yeah. But all too often when we do this prophetic interpretation stuff, we make it all doom and gloom, yeah. right? It's not doom and gloom. It's, I remember Daniel, put it in context. Daniel, he's in Babylon. They just got invaded and deported. And don't forget Daniel... He actually ends up surviving a regime change. A couple. Yeah. When Medarius shows up and, and the whole overthrow of the Babylon kingdom. Baby, I, I interrupt your vein of thought there. Oh, no, no, but. no. That's fine. I mean, it goes right along, right? Because it wasn't just one regime, right. regime change. It was you had Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. Yep. yep. Oh, and yeah. And then Belshazzar, sort of like Prince Regent, yep. uh, takes over. And then you have the Medan Persian invasion. Persian. Yep. So he's seen going from the head of gold to the chest of silver. Right. I mean, just think about that for a moment. That's and it pretty- wasn't long after that that you have the 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 kingdom of bronze, which was so. I guess we should, maybe we should. So the head of gold in Daniel chapter two was Nebuchadnezzar, and right? The Babylon Neo is really the Neo Babylonian kingdom. Yep. And then you have uh, the Medes and the Persians. Yep. Uh, and then the Persians end up dominating that relationship. So it goes from the Medes and Persians to the Persians. You have the Pers- Then you have the yep. Persian Empire. Yep. Persian Empire falls, and you have the next great world power after that is uh, Alexander the Great and the Macedonian yep. Grecian yep. Uh, Empire. That empire, yep. and you have to go f- other parts of Daniel, but that empire falls, divided into four. Uh, that lasts for quite some time, up until basically the first century. Uh, Rome Rome is founded, I think it's like 180 AD is like the official founding of Rome, but they're not very powerful. They're just a small little city-state. Right. Um, and the Greek, the, the heirs of Alexander the Great um, and their heirs still sort of dominate uh, world culture at this point. And then the Romans come along mm-hmm. and they become the most powerful, expansive empire the world has ever seen at that point. Yeah. And it lasts until that kingdom is divided and the division of that kingdom lasts into the end of time. Yep. We are living in the toes. The toes, yep. Right, the, we're iron, the iron mixed with clay. Right, and yep. so... Which doesn't mix well. It doesn't mix no. well. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways that people can interpret that. The, uh, interpret that. The, uh, the text isn't necessarily 100% clear. We know it's divided and they don't cleave together, mm-hmm. but we don't always know exactly what that means. Some people are more sure than others, but I think the people who are super sure need to have a little more humility. <laughs> um, but there's and there's a lot of criticism. We, we say that with humility, <laughs> and I say that with humility, right? Like you, you have to be willing to admit that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a temptation, especially in this sort of context, where you get a couple of guys with a little bit of education together, and we want to make pronouncements and things like that. And I'm just not comfortable making those pronouncements, yeah. but. Um, we we live in the toes. We live in a world that's divided, and it's never going to be unified. And I would point that out that that we always st- like all these systems now, right? All these systems, these other systems that exist today, just like Alexander, just like Rome, are constantly trying to unify, tr- constantly trying yeah. to unify, right? How do we get people all on the same page? And I think what Daniel's saying here's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> Here, what Daniel's saying is it's never going to happen. Right? right, and part of the reason why is because you have those iron kingdoms. This is one way of interpreting. You have those iron kingdoms in the toes that are opposed to the kingdom of God. Yep, and you can say the kingdom of God is clay. Yep, right. Yep, and there's good scriptural reasons why you would interpret it that way. And then what we're waiting for is that stone uncut from human hands. 
Yep. That is that Daniel says that it, it's interpreted for him directly by the angel that that's the kingdom of God and that it spreads into like a great mountain to cover the whole world. Yep. And it destroys all of those, all of those other uh, kingdoms. And just while I'm on the topic of kingdoms and systems, I know we got to start wrapping up here. But I, ju- I was just going to say something. I, I remember years ago, um, people had speculated Ronald Reagan uh, because his number, his name, <laughs> you know, you remember that six six six, and they thought this oh, is it, and and it's like okay, this is it, and that's 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 the sad part of our human nature, Roger. We want to know: is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? Anyway, I just had to throw that in. Human well, that's no, it's it's perfect actually because if you if you jump to Daniel chapter ten, and. Uh, Daniel 10, this is a little bit later than, than what we've been talking about, 2 and 7. But Daniel, again, is standing there. He's waiting for a message from, from the angel. And you, go, you come to um, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, and the angel's talking. says, don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. Mm-hmm. I have come because of your prayers. And he said something previously in the previous interpretation uh, that we were just talking about. And then verse 13, Daniel 10, 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Mm-hmm. Right, that's an angelic being. Yep. Right, we would call it a demon. Then Michael, yep. one of the chief princes, came to help me after I'd been left there with the kings of Persia. So what one way that you can interpret that, and I think it's the correct way, is that all the systems of the world, all of the systems of the world, yep. all, I mean that word, yep. all, yep. are ultimately opposed to the kingdom of God. Yep. That means, yes, even nice democratic republics where we have freedoms, yep. like the one we live in, ultimately will be opposed to the kingdom of God. Yep. One way or the other. And one, you open up a door there, Roger. Why is that? And I dare say that part of the problem is we're all fallible human beings. Yes, we're all, none of us is t- capable of ourselves to to completely be objective, and 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 look at things analytically, and 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 we even if when we do look at it, we're looking at it superficially. We're not looking into a person's heart. Anyway. It, well, if I had to uh, uh, paraphrase James Madison in the Federalist Papers, he said, if all men were angels, they would require no government. <laughs> That's a good point. I, uh, yeah. And if governments were composed of angels, you wouldn't have to have things like constitutions that limited mm-hmm. what governments can do. And so that that's why, yeah, human nature, every human system, and I, I don't want to just get stuck on governments. Like right. we can, uh, you know, corporations, uh, businesses, oh my. Um, nonprofits. En- Enron, look at that. I mean, how can they, you know, it was greed that kept this facade up at Enron. Let me, let me throw one out. Churches. Oh, boy. Not even churches necessarily. Mm-hmm. Can you say that they are cooperators with God? And yeah, I don't want to, I'll stop there because I'm sure we'll get more into this as the lesson, as the quarterly goes along, but we have to be, we have to be suspicious. I think the Bible teaches us to be suspicious of human motives, right? Yeah. But be humble in our suspicion and focus on our own motives. And again, it goes back to the last lesson. We have this tendency to point fingers. What we should be doing is looking in the mirror. Yeah. And we should be looking in the mirror, holding up the Bible as a reflection of Christ and his character yep. and comparing me yep. to that, not yep. other people to that. Yeah. And most people don't get that from studying Daniel 8.14. I don't know, we kind of like go but, all over but, the place. It's, it's timely because it, Daniel 8.14 reminds us we are, we are living in a time of judgment. Right. And this is not a dress rehearsal. This, no. is, this is it. This is it. We are making history by what we do or don't do. And a lot of us are acting like our hearse is going to be able to pull a U-Haul trip. <laughs> Coming back to that quote. That's right. That's right. And and uh, that's that's a that's a scary thought. And it should be. It uh, really the whole point is refocus of priorities. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. What's our priority? What's our priority? So. 
and and uh, that's where I, as we look at the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, it reminds us, hey, look, there is far more that what's going on here than what we can even imagine, and and we may have our three score and ten, but uh, and then before you know it, we're forgotten. But and, and I can I just uh, I just want to point something out on Friday's lesson. I know I know we're at the end here, but I think it's important enough that I can just real quick. Uh, Friday's lesson, May fifth, under the discussion questions. It's discussion question number two. It's labeled as one, but it's actually number two. It's got one twice. Editor, oh uh, yeah, Cliff Goldstein, are you listening? <laughs> Typo. But they got the three right. Um, yeah, they got the three. One, one, three. Um, there's probably some secret code I there. I think that's what it is. Uh, I, I, only for the initiated. <laughs> I'm not an initiate. So uh, anyway. But so, you noticed it, so you're part of I it. I did. That's probably going to assassinate me now. Um, dwell more on the truth revealed in 926 that the Messiah was cut off, but not for himself. What mm-hmm. is this about? For whom was he cut off and why? So we know the superficial answer, right? He died for our sins. He died on, on our behalf. But something I've said multiple times in this format and in Sabbath school, whenever you read the Old, particularly the Old Testament, whenever you read the Bible, but particularly the Old Testament, you have to ask your have to ask yourself the question as a sort of framework for understanding what the authors intended: is how does this distinguish the God of the Bible from the God of the pagan nations? And Jesus, this might come as a surprise to some people, but in in ancient mythology, Jesus is not the only dying and rising God. Mm. There were lots of gods in pagan mythology who died and were resurrected. Um, I won't give you a catalog. You can do your own research. But the point is, in all those instances, a number of other things were happening. So, for example, the God who dies and rises again, um, that's what makes him like a powerful God, like a powerful deity, or he, he, he dies and through the actions of other gods, he's brought back to life in order to challenge like the God who killed him and things like that. There's all these different versions of the story. And so the distinction to be made between the son of God of the Bible and all of those pagan gods is that he does it willingly Mm -hmm. and he does it at the hands of human beings the human beings yeah. that he came to save, yeah. right? So it's not, it goes way deeper than just the super superficial. He was cut off for my benefit. Yes, that's true. But there's a lot more going on that's much deeper yeah. than just that. Um, it's, it shows, the, it reveals the character of God. And the character of God is, like I, I read a quote, uh, I don't know, it's been a few months ago and I don't even remember who said it. But they said that the story of the gospel or the story of the New Testament is that God himself came to earth to show us how to live and our response was we killed him. You need to find that quote. That's powerful. And it, man, really? I mean, that is an indictment if there ever was one. And mm-hmm. since we're talking indictment, judgment, hello, yeah. um, Are you? Put, I hope people are kind of putting the pieces together, what I'm trying to drive at, you know, Uh, what's the character of God? We should be trying to emulate the character of God. When we're judged, it's going to be, have you identified with the character of God? Doesn't mean you exactly reproduced a copy of the character of God in yourself, because none of us is really capable of doing that in any sort of, in sense of completion. Right. But do you recognize that fault? Yeah. Right. Do you recognize the deficiencies in your own character or like the systems, all the other systems of the world, did you hold yourself up as, well, no, I lack nothing, right? I have everything I need. So yeah. even, even God's son came and he allowed, to, he allowed himself to be subjected to that thinking and he suffered for it. Do you identify with that? Mm. Or do you identify with, well, I'm rich and powerful or I know people, <laughs> right? I don't know if that really makes it sense to everybody. A, I hope it does. It, it, it makes it, sense it, in my head. It, it, focuses the lens for us in a in a world where everything is out of focus and and that's a powerful note to end on um the book of daniel can easily become about dates timelines numbers but it's really about 
in a way about Daniel, about how he saw so much going on, these world systems, and he was in there, but he realized that this isn't what matters. And that's why it's in- interesting to note that when, when uh, the angel comes, he says, hey, you, Daniel, you're highly esteemed. We see where your heart is. We know where your mind is. We know where your love is, your affections are. You're highly esteemed. Yeah, because think you actually I didn't think about this before. You just remind, think about what Daniel, the position Daniel occupied. Yeah, right. He oh, had yeah. the ear of the king. Yeah, he He's, he was like the second in command. He could yeah. have done anything. He yep. was like Joseph in Egypt. Yep. And what did he do? He humbled himself and he used that position for good, not to aggrandize himself. Yep. Right. And even that those regime changes. Right. He sort of like faded into the background, and just came out when he was called. Yep. And that's where it's important to not divorce uh, the prophecies of Daniel from the man Daniel because you have the, the fiery furnace, the, the den of lions, all these stories, which is just amazing. And isn't there, I, I believe it's in the spirit of prophecy somewhere, right? Nebuchadnezzar is converted. I don't remember that. But he's converted. That he'll be in heaven. I think there's somewhere yes, that yes, she yes, says yes, he'll yes. be in heaven. Yep. And that's because of the action, if that's true, if that's because of the actions of Daniel. Yep. He loved King Nebuchadnezzar in spite of all the things that Nebuchadnezzar yeah. did, which is just, God bless Daniel. <laughs> well, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. Now, it's it's interesting as we take that quote and that song and we apply it to these times about the, the, the den of lions, but can we love that person? That's I like the way you brought that in, Roger. Hey, listen, the clock ticks on. I think it's a good, thoughtful note to, to end on. Uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We want to thank you for his faithfulness, for his faith. We thank you for what you've revealed to him. And I pray, Lord, that we won't just learn about the facts, the dates, the timelines, but we'll see, get a glimpse into the heart of Daniel, a glimpse into his heart, what drove him, what got him out of bed every morning, what gave him hope and comfort. I pray that those same qualities will be in us. Be with us as we continue on this journey through this series of lessons. We pray that you'll continue to lead and guide us. Be with us as we live in this system, in this world, and help us to always remember where our true allegiance is, where our true heart, where our love is. Thank you for loving us to come to the point where you have become one of us. And, and, and as Roger mentioned, demonstrated love that leaves us baffled and 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 uh, and our response is shocking forgive us lord forgive us forgive us amen in jesus name we pray amen amen thank you for being with us and we pray that god will continue to uh, be with you be with all of us we pray that we'll keep our eyes finished on the author and the finish of our faith and uh, Please continue to uh, be a part of our lives, and we hope if you're in the area, please drop by and see us. God bless and God be with you. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath School class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath School and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you were blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.